We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. So here we hear the word of God saying to us, verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. May God bless this reading of his word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we come before your presence this day asking for your blessing, dear Lord, upon the reading of the scripture and also your blessing upon our congregation. I thank you for every person that has come today and those who are still coming and will be coming. We pray for your blessing on both of our services and also for the baptismal class later on. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your name will be glorified in our midst. Give us understanding this morning, wisdom to understand what you have written in your word. May your Holy Spirit guide us into all truth today. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you, Father, that they are a light not just to our feet, but to our heart and mind. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you speak to our hearts through them. And may we pay attention and understand what you're telling us today. And I pray for the salvation of those who perhaps will come through these doors today without the assurance of sins forgiven, without the joy of an eternal life in heaven. And we commit all this into your hands this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we saw the definition of faith. We talked about the fact that this is not talking about saving faith, but it is talking about living faith. Okay, the faith in the, that it talks about in this chapter is living faith. And beginning with verse 4, we see the examples of faith that the writer of the epistle, whoever he was, some people believe is the Apostle Paul, and could have been, we don't know. Uh, but whoever the writer is, God is the author. So it doesn't matter who the writer is. What it matters is the author. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the writer gives us the exam all these examples from the Old Testament. Okay? And if anything, this chapter, what it does, uh, among other things, it shows us that the Old Testament is not passé. Some people think the Old Testament is, you know, not for today. Well, it is for today. Not the law of Moses, but yet the content of the Old Testament, the principles in the Old Testament are still for today. Some of them are even future, okay? Haven't happened yet. So we see here that he gives us the examples of faith. And who does he begin with but with Abel? Now, why is it that it doesn't begin with Adam? I just thought of that. Well, maybe because Adam saw God. He didn't need faith. Okay? And I could hardly call Adam a hero because he blew it. And that's why we're in a mess. But we owe him respect because he's our first father, right? Now, begins with Abel. And we see here, in Abel, we see the way of faith. 
the way of faith. What is the way of faith? It's blood sacrifice. Okay? This story is taken from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Abel was righteous. The Lord Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 23, accusing the Pharisees of their hypocrisy and lack of faith, called Abel righteous faith, righteous man, and mentioned him as the first martyr, okay, that was killed because of his faith in Matthew 23. He had obedient faith. God had revealed to Adam and his descendants the true way of worship, and Abel obeyed God by faith, bringing the right kind of sacrifice, the right kind of offering. He offered to God, it says, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. In other words, a better sacrifice than Cain. Cain offered vegetables, the work of his hands. Abel offered a blood sacrifice, the one God demanded. Cain is an example of one who thinks he can come to God any way he chooses. A lot of people today say, oh, yeah, there's many ways to God. No, there aren't. There's only one way to God. Okay? And... Uh, they think they can come any way they, they please. And it's not your way, it is God's way that matters, that counts. Okay? Abel is an example of one who comes to God, God's way, through a blood sacrifice, through which he obtained, it says, obtained witness that he was righteous. Blood sacrifice did not, did not make Abel righteous. His faith made him righteous. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, for sure, we need the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our faith justifies us. Because you can look at the sacrifice of Christ and not believe it. That doesn't justify you. Okay? So we see here that that's what made him righteous, his faith. The evidence of his faith was in his obedience, offering the sacrifice God required. And that's what he requires of us today. He requires of us to obey him, to obey him, obey his word. And if you're a young person, obey mom and dad. And if you're an old person and you still have your mother and your father, obey mom and dad. Honor them. Because the Bible doesn't say, honor your father and your mother while you're young. It says, honor your father and your mother, period. Okay? Even if you disagree. Disagree, swallow hard, and obey. You have no choice in the matter. Obey your pastor. This very epistle to the Hebrews tells you that in chapter 13. Obey the, the police out there. Obey authority. Because all, the, all authority comes from God. We're told that in Romans 13. So we see here that Abel came to God with the sacrifice God required. He is an example of a true witness. God testifying of his gifts, it says. And through these gifts, the blood sacrifice, he still speaks today. He's been dead for how many years? Over 4,000 years. But he's still more than that. 6,000 years. Okay? 6,000 years. Abraham lived 4,000 years ago. 6,000 years. And he still speaks today. Okay? His, his great testimony speaks to generations of his life of faith, which cost him his life. Abel is the first martyr of the faith. And the word martyr in the Greek is the same word for witness. Interesting. Why? Because the witnesses of God are the ones that were martyred by the unbelievers. And they're still, still going on. Okay? 
So Abel is the first martyr of the faith. Cain was not a child of God. John tells us that in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 12. Cain slew his brother. And why did he slay him? Because he was of that, because Abel was righteous and Cain was of that wicked one. In other words, John, the apostle of love, is calling Cain a child of the devil. And that's what he was. The first person that went to hell is Cain. He slew his brother. Why? Because Abel's works were righteous and Cain's were unrighteous. Okay? He did not have faith. He was religious. He was not righteous. And there are too many people today in churches that are religious, but they are not righteous. Okay? Make sure nobody in here falls into that category. So we see the way of faith. The way of faith is through a blood sacrifice. Secondly, we see Enoch in chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. We just read. In these two verses, Enoch demonstrated his faith by his walk with God. So if we see the way of faith in uh, chapter, in verse 4, we see the walk of faith in verses 5 and 6. He demonstrated his faith <coughs> by his walk with God. That is, by the life he lived. His life was pleasing to God, and therefore he had fellowship with God. That's what walking with God means. To walk with God means that you have fellowship with God. Means you obey his word. Means you do what he says. The Lord said it very clearly many years later. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay? So we see here, for this reason, God, what did the Bible, does the Bible say here? It said, tells us that God took him away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him this means he was transposed or he was changed. And Enoch walked with God in the wicked world before the flood. And in spite of the wicked society of the day, he was able to keep his life pure. And this pleased God. Nowadays we're living in a wicked world, don't we? Every day is worse and worse. But we must live our lives purely. Shine as lights in the midst of the darkness in which we live. God commands us to do that in the book of Philippians. And for this reason, he was taken to heaven one day and was seen no more. Abel died a violent death. He was slain by his brother. Enoch never died. God took him. It's, uh, he walked with God. So you know what? Who knows what happened? How old was he when God took him? 365 years old. He was young. Sure he was. Compared to Adam, Adam was 930. Compared to Methuselah, Methuselah was 969. So he was young. He lived one-third of his life. He was a kid. And he was walking with God. See? And maybe one day he got too close to God's dwelling and God said, why don't you come to my home now? Don't go back where you were. He took him. He took him. He never saw death. God's plan for each one of his saints is different. Some people try to imitate uh, others. Or they try to imitate things they happened in the past with the apostles or with the prophets or with Moses. They try to imitate that. You don't do that. God's plan is not the same for everybody in every dispensation. Okay? Today we don't have visions. I'm reading a book about a guy that we met at the conference. And he got saved by a vision, a dream he had of Jesus. And then he, every time he didn't know what to do, he would fall asleep and have a dream. Never the word of God. Always a dream. 
be careful with that. Because I might have a dream that God might tell me to kill you. So when somebody tells you, God spoke to me, run. Run. Because God does not speak today outside of his word. Because the Apostle Paul said that we walk by faith, not by sight, not by feelings. We're not in the Old Testament dispensation. And we're not in the times of the apostles. We're in the time of the church. And we're about to end the church age. And some people are still talking about the foundation of the church. This, very, this same guy says, I have an apostolic calling. No, you do not have an apostolic calling. The apostles are the foundation of the church. We're about to finish the superstructure, and some people are still in the foundation. Of course, he's a charismatic. You can always expect that. I don't have any hairs in my tongue. I tell it like it is, because I want to protect you against false prophets. Amen? Yeah, because that can cause more harm than good. Because then you are wondering, why isn't God speaking to me? Why don't I have dreams or visions? I must be in sin. And that discourages. I used to have a guy that I used to go to a church, and he used to say, God spoke to me. It's interesting that every time God spoke to him, it was something to his advantage. And I began questioning, how come God never, God never speaks to me? Until I read a book. Of course, 16 years later, I was still there, and I read the book that says, if you go to a church where the pastor says God spoke to me, or where the pastor does not submit to anybody, does whatever he pleases, it's a cult. Get out of there. You know what I did? I got out of there. That's why we have this church here today by God's grace. And I... Let me tell you, the first thing I said to the founding committee of this church, I refuse to make unilateral decisions. Decisions in this church are going to be made by all of us together. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And that's why I have submitted myself to Ivan Lopez. He is my boss. I don't make decisions on my own. And if Eddie looks at me and raises his eyebrows like that, I shake and tremble. But it's true. Yeah, you are my boss. I see that. You admitted that. I saw no, you, you got caught. That's it. All right. Now you get the message, right? Who's the authority in the church? The authority in the church is God and his word. Amen? We have no popes, or we're not supposed to have any popes in the, the uh, Christian church, even though some of them act like popes. Now, let me say this. God's plan for each one of his saints is different, I said. In Enoch's case, he was there, and then he was not there anymore. He was gone all of a sudden, because God took him away from earth to heaven. And he, like Abel, pleased God and had this testimony that he pleased God. God bore witness to Enoch that he was well-pleasing to God. We're told that in Genesis chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, where we find the story of Enoch. A short story, but boy, does it say a lot. He pleased God before his translation, before he was taken up. <coughs> Translation means, you know what it means? It means rapture. Okay? And from earth to heaven, <clears throat> not just geographically, but a total transformation of the body in which corruption puts on incorruption and mortality puts on immortality. Enoch will never return to earth to die. This could very well be a picture of the rapture of the church when Jesus Christ returns. As we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Okay? Some, I, I heard some people say, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's right there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm a Greek. I know my Greek. 
The Greek word is arpagi, and it's in the text. Arpagi means to grab and, you know, take out, like snatch out. And that's what the Lord is going to do with his church one of these days. So you better behave, because you don't know when he's coming. We don't know when he's coming, okay? The principle the writer brings out here is that without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. God is offended when people don't believe his word. I believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. And if God says, some people say to me, you believe that? Yes, I do. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. What's your religion? If it, whatever's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's not in the Bible, I don't believe it. Okay? So, Enoch was well-pleasing to God because he had faith. He had faith. Whoever comes to God must believe two things. First, he must believe that he is. That is, that God exists. And that's why we're told in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And that's repeated in Psalm 53, 1 again. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Okay? Secondly, that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch is a good example of walking in faith. So what do we have so far? We have the way of faith, and we have the walk of faith. Thirdly, we come to verse 7, we come to Noah. Noah is the work of faith. The work of faith. In Noah, we see an example of faith at work. What does the book of James tell us? The book of James tells us that faith without works is what? What is it? Faith without works is what? Death or dead. Okay? You can't say, I believe in God, and you don't do the things that God says. Doesn't mean that we get saved by works. We are saved to do good works. Don't put the cart before the horse. You don't earn your way to heaven. Salvation is a gift. But if it is a true gift, if you're really saved, then you will, you're going to do what God says. I have given up long time ago trying to force people to do something, to do the right thing. If you don't want to do the right thing, that's your problem. I'm telling you what God says. It's your choice whether you'll do it or not. Okay? So here we see an example of faith at work in Noah. This involved the whole person, his whole person. He was warned of God. What did, what did the Lord do with Noah? He warned him. How long? Oh, he warned him for 120 years. Do you think that was long, long enough? Now, when did Noah began to, uh, began, begin to work? He began to work immediately. It took him 120 years to finish the ark. He was warned of God. This involved his mind. As a result of this, he was moved with godly fear. God says, I bring a flood on the earth. And Noah said, oh boy. That worked in his mind, okay? Gave him fear, made him fearful. And this is one word only in the Greek, meaning reverent or pious concern. And it involved his heart. And this in turn moved him to act, to, to, to act building the ark, and which involved his will. It is by faith all this happened since up to that time, you know what? No one, including Noah, had seen rain or a flood. It's easy for us now to say, oh, it's going to rain. Oh, yeah, we've seen it before. Today's raining. Oh, we've seen it before. But in Noah's day, it had never rained. 
And God says, I'm going to bring a rain, flood on the earth. He had never seen it before. It's like us today. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. Did he ever come back before? No, it's the first time he's coming back. He came the first time, but this is the first time he's coming back. But we believe it. Okay? So Noah believed what God told him. And it is by faith all this happened. Okay? Uh, his actions were a witness to the rest of the world, generating interest and also ridicule. He was ridiculed. I'm sure people were really laughing at him and calling, calling him crazy, like people do today when you tell them you believe in Jesus. Huh? A lady told me one day not too long ago, do you really believe that you're going to see your mother again? I said, absolutely I do. Because she says to me, I don't believe, the, less, the more I live, the less I believe. And I said, do you read the Bible? I've never read the Bible. It's like telling me, I'm hungry. I don't believe in food. What, did you open the refrigerator ever? How are you going to be fed? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You never open the Bible? Imagine me standing next to you or you standing next to me and we never talk to each other. How are you going to know how I feel? How am I going to know how you feel? Open the Bible and read it. Okay, so here we see that Noah did the right thing and the world ridiculed him. Well, it had never rained. There was no flood up to that moment. And he was building the ark in the middle of nowhere, not next to a sea or a river or whatever. So I'm sure it was so, so big that people were wondering, how are you going to carry this to the water? He didn't have to. The water came to him. You do what God tells you to do. You don't understand it, don't worry about it. Keep doing it. Okay? So, however, even, even though he was ridiculed, his faith influenced his family, and they were all saved. His wife, three children, their wives, eight people got saved. Those who were ridiculing, those who were laughing at him, they all perished. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ used the example of Noah on the generation that is going to be alive the day he comes back. They are ridiculing now, but the day he comes, they're going to fall under the judgment, just like Noah's generation. Only Noah and his family were saved. And the animals, two of each species, and the domestic animals, seven of each. God means what he says, and he says what he means. Never, never second-guess God. Okay? The world was condemned for their unbelief. For his faith revealed that unbelief. A working faith is an obedient faith. It is a faith with action. It is a faith that produces good works. Our works prove the faith we have. In the end, Noah was proved right. And Jesus used this event, as I said to you before, to warn people to be ready for his own return in Matthew 24. Noah's day, in Noah's day, people were too involved in their own lives with everyday activities and completely ignored Noah's witness. Just like today, people are involved into their own thing. They, they, they just are involved in their houses, with their cars, with their lawns, with their boats, with their business, traveling. They're not thinking about the second coming. But Christians, Christians, we not only look up, but we try to listen for sound. It's coming back soon, sooner than you think. Okay? So make sure that you, your life pleases him. Don't fall asleep while you're waiting. By his faith, Noah, by his faith, not only saved his family, but became, it says in the text, heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. In other words, he inherited that righteousness which is according to faith. A righteousness that came 
as a result of faith. And just like Abraham, God imputed righteousness to him because of his faith. Noah is called a preacher of righteousness in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Okay? So, so far we see what? The way of faith. We see the walk of faith. And we see the work of faith. Fourthly, we see the willingness of faith. And who's the example here? Abraham. Willingness to what? Willingness to go. Okay? And in his case, we have two incidents, not just one. This section here deals with the life of Abraham. So let's read in chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he wanted... Oh, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So here we see this section deals with the life of Abraham, who is called the patriarch of faith. For he is a great example of living faith, which was manifested in various ways. First, his faith is shown by leaving his homeland. Now, Abraham was a Chaldean. He lived in Chaldea. Chaldea is today modern-day Iraq, okay, in the Mesopotamia, where Babylon is or was, okay? That's where he was from. He was a Chaldean. And the Lord called him from there to go to a land that he was going to show him. He didn't tell him where. He just said, go. And uh, he left his homeland and went to a place, the place that God would show him. It took faith to leave the land of his birth and go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, it says. His faith is demonstrated by his obedience. He didn't argue with God. He didn't demand an explanation. He just went without questioning, okay? His faith is demonstrated by his obedience. And it is even more remarkable, for he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. He was just going. Okay? Abraham's obedience was immediate. The idea is that while he was being called, he obeyed at once. Though he did not know where he was going. All he knew was that God was calling, and that was enough. Abraham was to go until God told him to stop. And this is the story in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. Okay. Another way Abraham showed his faith was by going to the land and living there as a stranger, a foreigner, a pilgrim, Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Verse 9. He didn't go to the promised land and build a house there. Or build a city. No, he was living in tents. He was living like a nomad. And uh, he came to the land God showed him. Not as an owner, but as a stranger. Living in tents or temporary dwellings. And he was ready to move whenever God spoke. The Greek word means to dwell beside. That is, as a stranger in a temporary dwelling. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in tents all their lives. His descendants, together with him, were co-heirs of the same promise. God made the promise to Abraham, and then he made it to Isaac, his son, and then he made it to Jacob, Isaac's son. 
Abraham's grandson the same promise. Okay? And they inherited the promise made to him. Isaac inherited it, not Ishmael. Jacob inherited it, not Esau. Abraham believed that no matter how long it took, even if he did not live to see it, one day he would inherit the land promised to him by God. In the meantime, he lived in tents. So many people want God to answer it now. Sometimes God takes a long time, according to us. But it's not a long time. God will always answer you in his own time. Not your time or mine. Believers today also are strangers and pilgrims. Do you feel the way I do? The more I live, the more of a stranger I feel like in this world. Some things don't interest me anymore. Now, I haven't lost interest for life, but I have lost interest for the things this world offers that so many people kill themselves to get. I hear some people, friends of ours, and this and that, family. Yeah, I bought a boat, man. I, I bought a $1.5 million home. I'm tempted to say, are you going to take it with you? Some people have nothing else but that. That's sad. And the Lord Jesus said, you know what he said? He says, the life of a man does not consist in the goods or possessions he has. If your life, all it is, is money, possessions, houses, cars, boats, whatever else you have, careers, and that is taken away from you, what's left? If there's nothing left there, you ain't much. Unless you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, then you have everything. Believers today are also strangers and pilgrims. As Abraham must look and wait for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham had his eyes on the heavenly Jerusalem. On the future, not the present, which is mentioned again in chapter 11, verses 16, and then chapter 12, verse 22, and then chapter 13, verse 14, and then in chapter 21 of, uh, and 22 of Revelation. And it, is that, that, and it is this that Abraham believed was his ultimate promised land, besides the land of Canaan. His faith demonstrated both his obedience as well as his patience. Now look at verse 11 in our text. In verse 11 it says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. In this verse, and these two verses here, the writer mentions Sarah, who through faith received strength to conceive seed. Abraham did not know how God's will would be accomplished. Both he and Sarah were too old to have children. Now, when they left the land of Chaldea, to go to Canaan, Abraham was 75 years old. He was older than I am now. And Sarah was 65. And they still had no children. And God says, you shall have a son. And they thought that it would happen immediately. But even though it was past the age, or maybe not, I don't know, at that time. But certainly 25, 25 years later was past the age. How many women do you know that conceive at the age of 90? Rare? Impossible. Show me one and I'll tell you it's rare. Both, though, believed that God would do the miracle because they believed him. The Greek says the deposit of sperm 
It was Abraham's faith that gave Sarah the ability to conceive, becoming one with Abraham by faith. Together they believed God and received strength to conceive. When she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised, Sarah conceived past the time for bearing children and learned that God was faithful to his promise when Isaac was born. And then in verse 12, we have the result of Abraham's faith. Therefore, it says, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude. Who is this man that was as good as dead? Abraham. He was 100 years old. So from this one man alone, Abraham, who was as good as dead, meaning he had become sterile, too old to bear, to, to conceive, okay? Yet from him were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Can you count the stars? Let me see how, how great we are. Can we count the stars? I bet you most of us in here don't even know the name of one other than the sun and the moon. And the moon is not a star. It's a satellite. Okay? Well, you know what? God knows all the stars by name. Not only he knows how many there are, I imagine there are gazillions. He knows them all by name. Uh, how many of you have gone to the beach? Can you count the grains of sand by the seashore? He knows how many grains of sand there are. And he says that his descendants, the descendants of Abraham, were going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand by the seashore. It's a way of giving a hyperbole in the example saying, meaning without what? There are going to be so many, they cannot be counted. Okay? The idea is that his inheritance was so numerous they could not be numbered. For Abraham, by now, had become not only the father of Israel, but also the father of many, of many other nations that now make up the Arab states. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Some people forget that the Arabs are also descendants of Abraham. Though they are not the, the, the heirs, excuse me, of the promise, that's the descendants through Isaac, Okay? not the descendants through Ishmael or anybody else. In verse 13 of chapter 11, these all died, it says, in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had, uh, they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So here in verse 13, the writer tells us that all, all these, these all, that is, those mentioned in verses 9 through 12, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, all died in faith. None of the patriarchs saw the complete fulfillment of the promises made, made by God, for they eventually died and those promises were not fulfilled in their lifetime, but they saw them from afar off and were assured of them meaning that they knew if they died and the promises were not fulfilled by then, they would be at a later time. Now, we might not see the second coming of the Lord in our lifetime, but we know it's happening. Even if we die, the Lord is going to resurrect us and rapture us. Okay? Because God's promises are always, always come true. So here we see that to be sure, in chapter 6, verse, verse 15, the text said that Abraham obtained the promise. He received the promise of the Messiah 
but did not live to see the Messiah come in his lifetime. As a matter of fact, the Messiah came 2,000 years later, after Abraham. The fact that Abraham did not see him means that God did not fulfill his promise. Of course he fulfilled his promise. Okay? Abraham rejoiced to see Christ's day in the far in distance. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 8, verse 56 of the Gospel of John says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And that threw the Pharisees for a loop. It was like, what? You're not even 50 years old and you saw Abraham? Abraham had lived 2,000 years ago. And the Lord Jesus Christ was 33 years old. But see, but they could not believe. They did not believe that he is God in the flesh. So when you ask somebody, who is Jesus? If they tell you, oh, he was a good man, a great prophet. They don't know Jesus. Let me ask you, when did Jesus claim to be God? Or when did he become God? Nope, raise your hand. When did he become God? Nowhere in the Bible, don't strain yourselves. Nowhere in the Bible you're going to find the verse that says that Jesus became God. But it does say that Jesus became man. I mean, in other words, the Son of God, God the Son, became man. And the Word became what? Flesh. So Jesus is not a man who claimed to be God. He is God become man. Never forget that. So here we see that for the time being, they all lived, conf uh, it, uh, they all lived confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth and willing to wait for their reward in the next life. As foreigners, they lived in a strange land, and as pilgrims, they had no permanent possessions. These men and women of faith lived in tents, but they knew a heavenly city awaited for them. In verse 14, we're told they were seeking a better country, a homeland of their own. It was not God's will to give them the land in their lifetime, but they were willing to wait and receive it at another time, in another lifetime. In the millennium, the promise, this promise will be totally fulfilled when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will own the promised land. Jesus himself said to, uh, that many will come from every corner of the earth to recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the land. In chapter uh, 8, verse 11 of Matthew, God always fulfills his promises to his people, either immediately or ultimately. Verse 15 states that if they had continued to think of the country they came out of, meaning Chaldea, Mesopotamia, they, wouldn't, they, they would have had plenty of opportunity to return to it. But they didn't. Unlike the Israelites later, who kept thinking of returning to Egypt, the patriarchs did not grow tired of waiting for God's promises, but kept on pressing forward. The life of faith looks forward, not backwards. It does not think of comfort or past achievements. It looks forward for a better promise and future. So I'm telling you this morning, keep on keeping on. Amen? Keep on keeping on. Now, verse 16 states that the patriarchs knew they would receive a better, a heavenly country. They longed for it. They knew it was going to be better than anything on earth. And for this reason, they were willing to wait, continuing trusting God and not going back where they had come from. Because of it, it says God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, which will be described in the next chapter. They have a superior home. And what is the superior home? The New Jerusalem. So let's look now at the last verses that we have for today. Are you okay? You're not tired? I know it's a mouthful today. 
but it's, my goodness, it's hard. If, I, if it was up to me, I'd preach the whole chapter. But I have mercy on you. Verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This is the second instance that Abraham shows his faith. The first one was when God told him, go. Get up and go. Where? To the land I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you for a possession. They didn't tell him where. He just told him, go. Okay? Now, the Lord tells Abraham to sacrifice the son that he waited for for 25 years. Imagine, if Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, Isaac by now must have been 17, 18, maybe even 20 years old. Was Abraham younger or older? If there was no, if the chance was slim or impossible before, it's worse now. Okay? So that, I'm saying all that just for us to appreciate Abraham's faith. If there is one man I'm looking forward to see in heaven, is Abraham. Out of, out of respect more than anything else. Him, David, and Daniel probably would be the ones that I would love to see the most. But here it says in verses 17 through 19, Abraham showed his faith in these verses again in the sacrifice of Isaac. We see his faith in 11.17 because it says by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac why would God want Abraham to sacrifice his son when it was he who gave him that son Abraham was the one who received the promise and he knew the promise would be transmitted through Isaac not by his other sons now, he was asked by God to sacrifice the one son that was supposed to be the heir of the promises. He was asked to offer up his only begotten son. It is clear that Isaac was not his only biological son. Before him was Ishmael. He had Ishmael by Hagar. And later, after Isaac, he would have six more sons with his wife Keturah. After Sarah died. The phrase, this phrase, only begotten son, emphasizes uniqueness. Isaac was unique. Why? Because he was the heir of the promise. It was through him the promise was going to be fulfilled. Not through any other son. And it emphasizes uniqueness, not origin. Isaac was unique in two ways. First, he was Sarah's only son. Was he Sarah's only son? Yeah, she had no more children. Okay? And secondly, he was the only son through whom the promises of the Abrahamic covenant would be inherited. And Jesus also is called God's only begotten son. This does not mean that God the Father created the son, like some cults believe. It means he is unique, the unique. It's God the Father's unique son, different from all other sons, such as angels and believers. Angels are his sons by creation, and we believers are his sons by redemption and adoption. Jesus alone is the eternal son of God. Uniqueness. Is there another one like Jesus? No. Okay? Now, the Greek text makes it clear that Abraham obeyed immediately. It should read, while being tried, he offered up Isaac. The test was still going on. And Abraham rose up early and immediately to carry it out. In his mind, this act was as good as consummate when he was interrupted. It stands as a great testimony of his faith in God's promises. Now, did Abraham know that God was going to interrupt him? No. He just decided, this is it. 
Okay? Now, verse 11, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 18, says that, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Abraham carried out the command in spite of the fact that all the future of a nation's promises was wrapped up, wrapped up in Isaac. God had said to him, in Isaac your seed shall be called. This was a specific promise, meaning that no other son could be heir to the promises of the covenant. If Isaac died without descendants, then Israel would not have existed ever. Okay? But Abraham obeyed nonetheless. So in the last verse here for today, 19, we have the answer to Abraham's immediate obedience. His faith rested on God's power and ability to do the impossible. He counted on God's ability to raise him up even from the dead if he had to. Abraham knew that if he killed his son before he, was, he had children, God would resurrect him from the dead to have children and fulfill the promise made to him. Because all of Abraham's faith was in God. God always fulfilled his promises. Death is no barrier for God. He will fulfill his promises even if the person he promised he promised it to dies before that promise is fulfilled. If that happens, then God is obligated to resurrect that person to fulfill the promise, for God is always faithful to his word. God will not go back on his word, no matter what happens. Okay? The principle is seen in the discussion between Jesus and the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection. Bunch of liars that they were. Jesus quoted from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, where God says he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Lord quoted that verse to the Sadducees, where God said he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is the Old Testament formula for the Abrahamic covenant in which God made specific promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Promises which were not fulfilled in their lifetime, but they died before they were fulfilled. Because God is faithful to his covenants, it requires God to resurrect Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to fulfill his promises made to them. And you know what? I have news. He will. He will. Therefore, knowing this, that when God makes a promise to a person, and that person dies before it is fulfilled, and that then God is obligated to resurrect such a person to fulfill the promise made to him, Abraham, knowing this principle, acted in faith based on that principle. This is why he did not hesitate to sacrifice his son Isaac. He knew God was obligated to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Because as far as Abraham was concerned, his son Isaac was as good as dead. He was not going to hold back from offering up his son, if that is what God commanded. Abraham is a great example of faith. Does that encourage you? No? Can we trust everything God says? You bet your we can trust everything God says. Don't forget that doubt and unbelief are, are Satan's work. When he came into the Garden of Eden and told Eve, so had truly God said, Never doubt God. Doubt yourself, but not God. Doubt this world. Never doubt God. God will always fulfill his promises. It might take a long time for us. But you know what? God has all the time in, in eternity. God never says, oh man, I'm running out of time. God never runs out of time. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
He lives forever, evermore. He, it is him. I am that I am. Lord, you have been our refuge from generation to generation. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever the earth was, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. You know how that makes me feel? It makes me feel like I belong in his embrace. And I'm there safe and sound. I can trust him. The way of faith, the walk of faith, the work of faith, the willingness of faith. And we'll see the others, Lord willing, next week. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.